guest today on Out of the Box is Dr. Aisha Jalal, the Mary Richardson Professor of History, focused on South Asia and the Muslim world at Tufts University. She earned a PhD at Trinity College and the University of Cambridge. She was a five-year MacArthur Grant recipient in 1998 and has published a number of works, including The Sole Spokesman, Jinnah, The Muslim League and the Demand for Pakistan, and The Pity of Partition, Manto's Life, Times, and Works Across the India-Pakistan Divide. But what we're here to discuss today from Dr. Jalal is the interesting phenomenon of separation. Right now in America, there are more voices questioning whether we should stay together as a union, I think, than any time probably since the Civil War. I myself have written an article um, saying, should we voluntarily separate? There's just a great sense that we've reached a point in America where they, we just don't agree on anything um, between the red and the blue states, the Democrats and the Republicans. We don't even agree on what's real and what's not real. So to examine this issue of separation, I thought it would be interesting to look at the India-Pakistan partition of 1947. Um, I've long been fascinated by that. It was probably one of the biggest movements of humanity in the 20th century. Uh, it was brutal, difficult, um, barbaric in times. But what was behind it? Why did people separate after uh, thousands of years of living together? In researching a scholar on this subject, we came to Dr. Jalal, and we have her here today. And we're going to ask her these questions. Like, tell us about the India-Pakistan separation, because many people probably don't know a lot about it, even though it was really a seminal event of the 20th century. It might be useful uh, for me to begin by saying that despite the partition, which was ostensibly along religious lines between Hindus and Muslims, uh, there are ironically more Muslims that, who live outside uh, the Muslim homeland of Pakistan, uh, which of course was further separated in 1971 mm -hmm. with the creation of Bangladesh. Uh, so uh, at the moment, there are more Muslims in India uh, than in Pakistan, uh, and certainly there are more Muslims in Bangladesh and India combined uh, compared mm -hmm. to Pakistan. So there is a bit of a paradox uh, that we have to begin with uh, before okay. we begin to understand why this happened. It happened because uh, the British, um, of course, after colonizing India and ruling it for over 200 years or nearly 200 years, were quitting India. Uh, and so there was a question of how power was to be shared in an independent India. Um, and, uh, and, and so the, there were some Muslims who supported the Congress, and there were other Muslims um, who were largely bunched uh, in um, the minority provinces, i.e. provinces where they were in a minority, who supported an organization called the All India Muslim League. But eventually when Pakistan, the demand got articulated in 1940 uh, during the First uh, Second World War, uh, it was the territorial, the territorial embodiment of Pakistan were the Muslim majority provinces, even though the support base was in the minority provinces. Um, uh, but the, the, the demand for Pakistan was for the Muslim majority provinces in the northwest and the northeast of India. So this, of course, uh, was an attempt at claiming that the numbers uh, game in, in which Muslims were losers uh, was not the only game in town and that Muslims had a majority uh, in these areas. And so these areas should uh, have weighted representation uh, and, and, and parity at the All India level. So uh, the, 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 the claim was for a power sharing arrangement between the representatives of the Muslim nation uh, represented by 
Pakistan uh, and the territorial embodiment were uh, the northwestern provinces, which included Punjab, um, Sindh, uh, Baluchistan, and the northwest frontier province. And on the east, it was uh, Bengal in the main. And I, so, so it was effectively a power sharing arrangement. People seem to think that this was all because Hindus and Muslims could not uh, live together. I would just add that, yes, I mean, there were instances of Hindu-Muslim conflict over issues of cow slaughter, uh, music before uh, mosques, um, and, but, but, but they, they, they knew how to sort out their problems as well. It was only because the British were quitting India that the, the prospect of a, a, a demand for a, a Muslim state really materialized. Uh, and, and because of the circumstances of the Second World War um, came to fruition. Uh, I mean, in a matter of uh, really seven years, it's quite remarkable that for such a long history of Hindus and Muslims living cheek by jowl, having the occasional conflicts, um, uh, that they would separate within a matter of seven years. Uh, so actually, the, the, the creation of Pakistan was a very inadequate uh, solution to uh, the Muslim uh, as, it was, uh, as it was depicted at the time. Right. Um, the failure to agree from the Pakistan point, political point of view and the Hindu point of view in the Congress that you talk about, um, doesn't that sort of sound like America today, even though we have a 50-50 Senate right now? Have we kind of reached that same political stage here that the Hindus and the, and the Muslims did in India before they separated? I think the situation is rather diff different. Um, first of all, um, the British uh, presided over, for, whilst they were in India, uh, over a unitary center. Uh, you have a federal equation in, in, in the United States, which means that there are states um, which are red and there are states that are blue. Uh, but within the red states, there are people who do not support uh, Donald Trump. And within the blue states, um, mm -hmm. even in Massachusetts, where I live, uh, mm -hmm. at least a third voted for Donald Trump. So in other words, these are not sort of complete, uh, I mean, geographical areas that can easily be separated. Um, because there are people who will then have to be, uh, who, I mean, they, they will be minorities Correct. in a sense. Right. In my article, I called for a voluntary separate separation where those individuals in Massachusetts that, that want to live in you know, a red state or vote for Donald Trump and want to believe what they want to believe could move to Louisiana. And those Democrats in Louisiana that want, you know, we could be a five or 10 year period. No, no, no violence had to take place. We could just voluntarily separate. Well, possibly, uh, but we have to pose the question to the to, to the people first of all. Um, I do think that democracy is conflict uh, in a sense, and 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 what successful democracies in the world achieve are, I mean, they moderate that conflict through institutions, through agreements. Um, so I think democracy is about negotiating your differences. And when you decide that the time has finally come uh, to separate, um, uh, I mean, I don't know how voluntary that 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 would be. I mean, that certainly has to be left open as a possibility. The question is, is that the desirable option? Uh, because clearly agreeing or uh, agreeing to live with each other's differences is really the key. Uh, and because America has a federal equation rather than a unitary state where people are just oppressed, I mean, we just finished four years of Donald Trump uh, in which uh, there were blue states that were not particularly delighted to be ruled by uh, Washington, despite some muzzled talk about separation or creating a union with, between Massachusetts uh, and California. I don't think the matter got very far. No, uh, so I do. It, 
It good. didn't get too. It didn't get too far. But what you see is states resisting uh, federal authority here tremendously, based on ideological interests and leanings. That's that's a very optimistic um, uh, sort of view because I don't. I think people tend to disagree. Uh, even after the creation of Pakistan, uh, the conflicts have remained between Muslims mm-hmm. and Muslims. Uh, so mm. people will find other sure. reasons to, 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 <laughs> to fight, sure. fight over. So what you really need are institutions uh, that can sort of find negotiated settlements. And I think America is more advanced in that sense um, uh, to, to try and achieve those. I mean, it may well be that a state uh, or, or a majority of a state, maybe Texas, I mean, Texas is not the first time Texas is talking That's about right. seceding. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they could secede. Uh, I mean, even though it's not yeah. constitutional in the United States. Right. Uh, but, I mean, you're talking, of course, for a voluntary. Uh, yes. uh, I mean, I mean, and I, I think that that question, I think it, it needs to be debated, Jonathan. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I mean, since you brought me here to talk about India and Pakistan and how they're fared, um, uh, I, I can only say that they have not fared well. Can you explain to us um, how and how did, did the agreement to separate revolve into such violent, brutal massacres and rapes and 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 tortures and burnings and you know just just one-on-one personal violence. What brought that on in in terms of the separation? The decision was made at the All India level to separate, um, and people who found themselves uh, on the wrong side, i.e., uh, non-Muslims on the Pakistan side and Muslims on the India side they were targeted by the majority community. Uh, The motivation may have been couched in ideological terms, might have been couched in religious terms, but they were frequently um, property grabs. So, so, so minorities were targeted. And, you know, what you just said, that maybe people from Massachusetts could move to Louisiana, uh, I think they would be endangered. Uh, I mean, no, there's no such thing as a voluntary separation uh, when political tempers are, uh, are short. There were instances of violence before, but the, la- the, the, the most of the violence occurred because minorities on, found on the wrong side were targeted. Mm. Um, uh, and they lost their lives and their property, uh, and they were displaced, uh, causing a massive psychological trauma um, to, from which the subcontinent has still not recovered. Uh, and I think the U.S. just has to go back to its own history yes. to realize that it also hasn't recovered from the Civil War yes. uh, trauma altogether. Uh, and is, is that something that, that is that the way the U.S. wants to go? Well, that's certainly clear uh, when we saw the Confederate flags uh, that's right. of, of the of the uh, right wing uh, pro Trump rioters, you know, bringing those flags into the into the Capitol. You know, we had a preliminary conversation. You said some things that were so smart. I, I haven't gotten them out of my mind in a week. Um, you really posed that this wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a, a power vacuum created by the British leaving India. So, briefly, just tell us what in your mind would have happened if the British continued their rule of the Indian subcontinent and or maybe set guidelines on how it could be governed afterwards and didn't allow the Congress, the Indian Congress and the Hindu uh, power sharing um, to devolve into the violence that it did. Is it possible that India and Pakistan would have not existed and that the Hindus and the Muslims would have gotten along if the British stayed another five or 10 years? Well, that's a very, very good question, because uh, and to answer you is that, that, that yes, uh, in fact, the reason why I, I, I decided to do the dissertation, my, my PhD dissertation on the subject was that I knew that in 1940, 
five, um, uh, a cabinet mission plan was sent was was arrived at by which it was decided that um, you know you either have a Pakistan based on the Muslim majority provinces on the northwest and the northeast of India, minus the areas where there were non-Muslim majorities, or there would be a three-tiered federal arrangement. Uh, there would be a federal center. There would be the states in the second tier grouped together into three groups. Uh, the group A would be the Hindu majority states. The group mm. B would be the Muslim uh, majority mm. states of the Northwest. And the group C would be the Muslim majority states of the Northeast. And then, of course, the third <laughs> tier would be would be the states. This sounds like uh, the, the Oslo agreements in, in, in That's Palestine. Right. <laughs> Area That's right. and, A, and A, B, and C. <laughs> exactly. If it didn't work, they, they would try this within a period of 10 years. If it didn't work, they had the option of uh, of splitting from India. So let me tell you that when this when uh, and when when the time came to decide the All India Muslim League's leader, what do you think he did? He chose to stay in India rather than uh, take a Pakistan minus the non-Muslim majority areas. He called that a moth-eaten, mutilated Pakistan. <laughs> as late as 45, 46, he is actually uh, accepting to stay within a federal uh, structure in India. And it's only when the Congress says that they do not want grouping of states. Uh, that he returns back to the idea of a, of, a, of a separate state of Pakistan. But he continued to oppose the partition of the two main Muslim-majority provinces of Punjab and Bengal until the end. Okay. And that's, by the way, where the violence occurred uh, right. in, large, in, in large measure. So the British, being tired after World War II and their, their empire exhausted and they basically were completely bankrupt, as they, did in, as they did in Palestine. They just basically washed their hands of their empire. There's one difference, Jonathan. In India, well, uh, they, yeah. they at least uh, transferred power to two identifiable entities. Okay. In, right. in Palestine, they scuttled <laughs> completely. Right. So there's a difference. <laughs> right. So one of the things that's so fascinating is that in your focusing on the British power vacuum creating the chaos... Um, that the India-Pakistan separation um, devolved to is this. Um, I feel like an occupying uh, force has left America and that occupying force is rationality. I mean, I really, <laughs> really feel like the troops left the country somewhere and those troops kind of kept us together. Um, and they were, I think, the nightly news uh, six or seven national, you know, newspapers of influence, um, you know, I, I, just a general consensus of the way things were. And I think that like social media and uh, the Internet have created a power vacuum of rationality and consciousness that we don't see. Ever. You've talked about this and you mentioned this before post-truth. I mean, the Donald Trump's polarization of 75 million people voting for Donald Trump is as incomprehensible to the 85 million or so that voted for Joe Biden as eating a cow is to, you know, a, 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 a Muslim uh, or a Hindu in that case. I do think that that's the new challenge. Uh, if uh, the question of what is rational, what is believable, and what is completely unbelievable um, is now, low, no, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, people can believe whatever they like. I mean, social media has played a role. But I also think that the leadership, the leadership that the U.S. has had for a while has played a very key role in that. You can polarize in order to stay in power. That's yes. an old 
uh, method, and we all are aware that that's what happens. But I think that if we try the flip side of trying to understand the commonalities that continue to unite the United States, despite all the differences, uh, and if that is where the leadership wants to go, uh, we could bring about a change. Yes. I just don't think uh, I, I do think that's possible. And I don't think that if even if rationalism has gone, has reasonableness completely gone too? Sometimes it feels like that. It does, yes. But I mean, I think that, that but I do think that had a lot, a lot to do with the individual uh, in question um, uh, who, who believed yes. in, uh, who, who benefited from polarizing the country. I think we just have to understand that that's what's happened and that we need to emphasize the commonalities rather than what divides us. I think that's very important. And I, I, I would think that possibly we could have a, a, a rational party, which, um, you know, kind of like look to the center like a European parliamentary thing where you had a you know the quote center party where you you got the rational Republicans and the rational Democrats together uh, and 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 agreed on some commonality of issues in economic policy and foreign policy and climate policy so you do and don't see the 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 the, the analogy of the uh, it's a it's a stretch I understand of the of the British leaving India and rationality leaving America uh, to to creating a conflict here. Yes, I, I, I don't think that partition can ever be a solution because partition at best is a last-ditch attempt at conflict management. Uh, but at the same time, as you try mm. to manage the conflict, you make the resolution impossible. Uh, so, I mean, from, from yes. conflict management is not conflict resolution. Uh, and I think that it's really a very bad option when you, because, you know, Pakistan didn't go flying off into the Arabian no, Sea. It, it sits sure there. Didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, they just they need to learn how to live with each other. That's basically what the red and blue states have to do as well. What stops them from living together now? They're always in conflict. They're still fighting over Kashmir. Um, you know, they're, they're armed with nuclear bombs to the teeth. It doesn't make any sense. Pakistan is so poor. It's been bailed out by the IMF what, like six times or something in the yeah. last 25 years. I mean, the, 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 it's not a wealthy country and they're spending all their money on atom bombs and, and fighter jets. I mean, it's like, really? What's causing the conflict now is not just the longstanding historic hostility between India and Pakistan, but internal divisions in both India and Pakistan, mm. uh, which then have to be, you have to reify them uh, or try to get around them by, by talking about the enemy without. Wow. So really, I, I believe that what is propelling both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are internal divisions. That's certainly what's happened between India and Pakistan. The differences are so great internally that they need these enemies in order hmm. to justify their existence. Amazing. That's really interesting. I mean, it, look at the division in the Republican Party. Yeah, look at the yeah, division in yeah. the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, and, and so that is so convenient that we then can think in terms of red and blue states. But I mean, I just can't envisage a transfer of population. Uh, and I mean, it's, it, I mean, you no, can just imagine what that will mean. It's just not it's just not credible. <laughs> no, it really isn't. But it does bring up the speculative question of how are we going to get along? It, it throws it in its face. It goes to the extreme. It really does imply that like this red state, blue state issue in America is never going to go away. That that even if we, you know, now that this election is over and we had, the, you know, obviously the Trump election before this, this is just going to go on and on and on because it doesn't seem like there's anybody that really wants to end it. I mean, Biden is trying to change the discourse. I think a yes. lot more people need to get on that and talk about what binds the U.S. together rather than what divides the U.S. 
I think that's an equally important discussion. It is. I don't deny the divisions, but I do think that there's a great deal that holds the U.S. together, too. Right. Could you just give us like your final summation on what you think uh, is going to heal America based on the historical look back? Well, I think that unlike India and, and certainly unlike Pakistan, I think America still has institutions which which unless they completely destroy this destroy themselves. Right. There has been plenty of pushback throughout yep. the Trump yep. era. Yes. And so the Republicans should do the same um, until until a modest operandi can be achieved, if at all. Uh, I just don't think that that breaking up and fighting is going to be the answer. We all have to get out of our comfort zones and try and understand the other point right. of view. One of the things that perhaps we've made a mistake, uh, those in the blue states, is that have, we have not given due importance uh, to the concern. We're not paying attention to the, to, the, to the Midwest, to the Rust Belt, to the red states, to the plight of these people. So yes, I, I agree with that completely. The interesting thing, in, uh, as we wrap up, that I do see happening now, though, is a very serious uh, awakening on the part of corporate America, law enforcement, uh, the FBI, our, our security apparatus, as to um, the serious violent threat that actually you know, has been culcated by Trump and has been under the radar. This Proud Boys issue that's come out and their role in the uh, Capitol uh, insurrection and the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters and all the other real violent groups, I think we're going to see a very, very serious attempt here uh, by law enforcement to shut that down. There's a real scared, uh, real fear, I believe, on the part of uh, rational America, if you will, that this has gone too far. We saw this on uh, the inauguration uh, that that they did come together, yes. uh, and it was it was done peacefully. I think it makes no economic sense. I think that's what where the rationalism has to come back. It just makes no economic sense to fight <laughs> and divide and and kill each other. I completely agree. Hopefully, you're, what we are saying is corporate America will save us <laughs> by the need to make some profits. Maybe you're right. <laughs> Anyway, I thank you very much. I couldn't have had a more interesting conversation. I've learned a lot, and uh, there's a lot to think about. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Okay. All the best. We'll see you when you come back. Bye-bye. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.